This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing when it's not acid reflux, managing PPI-resistant GERD patients based on Bravo pH results. This is a summary of a recent American Journal of Gastroenterology article written by Raina Yadlapati and her colleagues. And with me to discuss it is Dr. Crystal Lee Lynch of the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, who is a renowned esophagologist. Welcome, Dr. Lynch. And tell us a little bit about why this is such an important topic for our listeners to understand. Hi, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I certainly see many patients with GERD-type symptoms, so the classic symptoms of heartburn and regurgitation and chest pain that's been deemed non-cardiac. And many of these patients do not respond symptomatically to proton pump inhibitors. So I do think this is a very important topic to make sure that we have the right diagnosis in these patients and therefore the right management. Um, the other things we often consider in our differential diagnosis is functional disease as well as esophageal hypersensitivity. Since almost half of patients with GERD-like symptoms of regurgitation or heartburn or non-cardiac chest pain don't get adequate relief with PPIs, as clinicians, we're left wondering, is it because we're not getting enough reduction in acid production, or is it because acid alone is not causing the symptoms? And that's where the Bravo pH monitoring comes in, but it sounds like there aren't very good criteria to tell us whether or not a PPI can be discontinued. Is that about right? Yes. Certainly, I think it's very tricky. And oftentimes, these patients without response to PPI because of the nature of their symptoms sort of get left on the PPI and then perhaps other medications are added. But instead, it might make more sense to pursue a diagnosis and then peel back on the medications or peel back and see if the patient doesn't feel any different, why, you know, sort of leave that medication on. And that's, you know, why the study design was actually so wonderful assessing the patients who could be maintained off of their PPI. And that's what Dr. Yadlapati and her colleagues did in order to address an important question, specifically what metrics from wireless reflux monitoring predict successful discontinuation of PPI in treatment-resistant individuals with GERD-like symptoms. Specifically, what they did was take individuals with heartburn, regurgitation, or non-cardiac chest pain that had been on at least single-dose PPI for eight weeks, but had ongoing symptoms of, of regurgitation or reflux or non-cardiac chest pain at least twice a week. And then those patients prospectively were told, okay, stop your PPI for a week. They got scoped. When they got scoped, they got their Bravo placed 
and they were ruled out for long segment Barrett's or at least significant erosive esophagitis or biopsy for eosinophilic esophagitis. And then the patients were told, don't restart your PPIs again for another two weeks. And the focus was whether or not the patients were going to be successful at keeping or refraining from ongoing PPI use. That seems like a fairly unique study design to identify Bravo pH monitoring patterns that predict successful PPI discontinuation. Have you seen a study like that in the past, Dr. Lynch? So I haven't, I, I do appreciate the study design. I think it's refreshing that all the plate patients were planned to hold their PPI and then assess if the patients were successfully able to stay off of their PPI. And I think it's two of the uh, aspects of the study design, I think should be highlighted. Number one, that the patients had to hold their PPI for a week before their endoscopy, which I think is very important. And we you know, have it in our prep letters, but I think it's important to make sure to counsel the patient. You know, they put a reminder on their calendar to make sure that they stop their PPI so we can assess the esophagus off of PPI and to get measures of acid while there hasn't been a PPI given recently. And the second part of study design that I really appreciate is that they did a 96-hour Bravo study. So certainly we do use 24-hour pH impedance wired and catheter-based studies, but there can be a lot of variability in studies that are limited to 24 hours. Oftentimes, if patients undergo anesthesia, um, they may be less active after anesthesia. It may depend on the time of day, but we see that in wireless studies that are extended to 96 hours, the first 24 hours is the most variable time period. And so when you Look at studies that analyze 24 versus 48 versus 96 hours. When there is borderline or discrepant data when you're analyzing the first 24 or 48 hours, oftentimes if you extend that out to 96 hours, it will point more clearly towards a diagnosis. And so I think that making sure that we're extending these studies out is important. It doesn't add risk to the patient. We just need to make sure that the receiver is set to record data for 96 hours and has enough battery charged for that. And I really appreciate it that about the study design. Yeah, the first 24 hours, as you said, can be very variable in the results that you get. And so in this study, the patients were off PPI and were told that they could use over-the-counter antacids for relief of symptoms. And the primary outcome was continuing that, that to refrain from using PPIs for two weeks after the EGD. And what they found was that 30% of the patients were successful in refraining from staying off their PPI. If patients felt their symptom burden was too great or they were using over-the-counter antacids more than five times a day, they could restart it. And then when looking at the 96-hour Bravo results, what they found was that daily esophageal acid pH time less than 4.0 if that was the daily amount of time with that esophageal acid exposure was less than 4% of the day and less than 4% of the entire 96 hours, that was most predictive of successfully being able to stop the PPI. Conversely, they found that if the acid exposure time was greater than 10%, or if the Demeester score was greater than 50, that was optimally predictive of 
having to restart the PPI. And they also found in their curves that 96 hours of monitoring was optimal being able to predict the patients that would be able to stop their PPI. So that kind of reinforces a couple of the things that you've said. And I know based on what we discussed before the podcast, that sounds like that's similar to your practice. And I think that is something our listeners would benefit from hearing about again. When you when you get those patients referred to you who have been on PPIs, they say they're compliant and they're not responding, what's your preferred approach? Yeah. So in patients who present with classic symptoms of heartburn, regurgitation, or non-cardiac chest pain, if they are really not getting any relief with their PPI, and it's been at least eight weeks, I will perform the upper endoscopy. And, you know, oftentimes we'll discuss the wireless pH testing before the procedure. And so we'll basically plan for that unless the patient has, you know, significant erosive esophagitis, Barrett's esophagus, or concerns for eosinophilic esophagitis as scored by the EREF endoscopic scores. But if they don't have any of those concerns for those findings, then I will typically place the uh, wireless pH monitor. So all patients thus are off of their PPI for a week before they come in for that. You know, essentially, like you're saying, if the daily and total AET or total acid exposure time is less than 4%, I typically will have the patient try to remain off of PPIs. And at that point, we can consider neuromodulators, diaphragmatic breathing, cognitive behavioral interventions. And that's, again, if the total AET and daily AET or the acid exposure time is less than 4%. And that's, you know, what was found in the study as well. So it, it certainly is reflected in my practice. And I think that's particularly important for our listeners to remember because in the near future, venoprazan is, is going to be available. That's the new pat- potassium channel acid blocker which is much more potent than proton pump inhibitors. And I think this type of approach is going to be important because as opposed to just reflexively putting these patients on venoprazan when they don't respond to PPI, better to test them to figure out if this is non-acidic symptoms that are better treated with, as you said, neuromodulators, diaphragmatic breathing, CBT, because it's not acid reflux causing the symptoms. Right, right, yeah. Any other key pearls that you'd like to share with our audience or does that cover the main points? I mean, I think that really covers it. I think just, you know, the overarching goal in general of only using medications when they're necessary and and always making sure to peel back if patients aren't responding sort of carries over into all of medicine, but yeah. Okay, great. Well, Dr. Lynch, thanks so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much for having me. 